What's up, everybody? It's cool, bro. What's going on? You're turning into the, the cool sounds of uh, Music Maniacs with Side After Dark. That's right. We are Side After Dark, your new favorite band. Yeah. I'm Dan Berg. I'm Sifa Graffiti. And today, we're talking about the coolest of the cool. The birth of cool. The guy that invented cool. The coolest of the cool. The trumpet master. The blaster. <laughs> Miles. Dewey. Davis. The third. The third. Comes in threes. You All, right. <laughs> All right. All right, fuck this. I can't be doing that shit anymore. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Hi. We're talking about Miles Davis. We got to. But, um, oh, yeah. So we're side after dark. Yeah. Listen to our music wherever you stream music. All that good shit. You know, all the, the standard promo things we have to say before we get into the goodness. Please do it. All right. So I don't even... Okay, so Miles Davis, there's so much go. I don't even know if we're going to get to everything. No. Nah. If we miss something, definitely tell us in the comments. Leave a review telling us how much we fucked up or whatever. Yeah, all you <laughs> cool cats out there who know more than us. There's well. definitely going to be something we miss, but we're going to do our best because we have to pay tribute to one of the... I mean... One of the best musicians of the 20th century, one of the most influential, yes. one of the most successful, like everything, like yeah. everything that is music yeah. is Miles Davis. Yeah, who according to himself, I changed music like four or five times already. But it's true. But it's so true. It's true. <laughs> we can talk in Miles' voice for a few seconds and then I'm, I'm going to get sick of it. But uh, <laughs> shout out to Miles. He's the best. Yeah. So Miles Dewey Davis was born in a small town in Illinois. Yeah. I don't remember what the name of that was, but <laughs> they weren't there for very long. Yes. they moved to East St. Louis. They moved to East St. Louis. You know, it's it's almost Chicago, but it's not. But it's okay because it was Miles Davis. Yeah. Anywhere where Miles is is where the cool is. <laughs> but this is, it's funny. So I actually didn't know that East St. Louis was its own city yeah. until this. I thought it was just like, you know, people say like, oh, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I yeah. thought it was like, oh, I'm from East St. Louis. But it's actually a whole different city in a different fucking state. Yeah. It's on the other side of the Mississippi River. Right. From the actual St. Louis. Yes. So that's a, that's a good thing to know, I guess. I had yeah. no idea. I had to that. Google that too. I was like, well, is this uh, St. Louis, Missouri? Or is this like, a, yeah. you know, who knows? But, um. I was we know now. I was like, East St. Louis, Illinois? <laughs> the fuck? There's yeah. St. Louis in Illinois? He was the son of a very rich dentist. Yes. Apparently, he was like one of the richest people in Illinois, in the whole state. They had like 200 acres. That's insane. That's insane for a lot of reasons. First of all, that's insane now to have that kind of money. Yeah. But also to be a black family in 1922 or whatever with that kind of shit. Yeah. Like, that's dope. He was born in uh, 26, and, like, I've only heard things about, like, that in, like, the Caribbean. Like, my grandfather had that in the Caribbean. And, yeah. Like, that's insane. And he was born around the same time. I think my grandfather was born in 2023, and that's, like, around the same time. That's insane. 200 acres? That's a lot. It is a lot. I had a half acre. Not me, my parents. I had, <laughs> we had a half. Just to make it clear. <laughs> just to make it clear. In Rockland County. And that was some good-sized land. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and they, he was like breeding horses and shit, or like yes. something like that. Like yes. he, they were, they had a, they had a whole bunch of things going on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, Miles was obviously always into music, but what really like kickstarted it? He was like thirteen, and his dad got him a trumpet. Yes. From, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His uh, well, yeah, it was his dad's patient that that trained him, I believe, too. Or did he get him the trumpet? I think no. I think his dad's patient gave him like his first lessons and he taught him not to use vibrato which yeah. was like crazy at the time yeah but um and i know his mom wanted him to get a violin yeah because she was a violinist yeah and she wanted him to do that which is understandable but he gets his music talent from his mom and it seems like his analysis from his daddy the thinking ways yeah. of, the, of the davises <laughs> And apparently there was like a fight, like they like they were mad that like like they like there was a fight between the parents because his mom wanted to get the violin. He's like, nah, I'm doing the trumpet. But I guess like it's it's really interesting because like I guess the trumpet was like a cooler instrument at yeah. the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is so interesting to think about now because like back in the day, like jazz was like what. I mean, we weren't we're going ahead a little bit, but that was like what the cool kids were listening to. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That which, was the rock and roll of its time. Yeah, which is so interesting. Rap. And like, I didn't really, well, you know this, I didn't really listen to jazz like at all until like a year or two ago when I started listening to Miles. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it's so interesting, like, looking back and, like, thinking of it through the eyes of, like, yeah, like, when you first look at this footage, you see all the black and white footage, and it's like, oh, it seems, like, so old and, like, like it's just this completely different time. But then, you know, people are always kind of the same. Yeah. So it's like, you think about it now, it's just like, oh, yeah, that really was just, like, the rock of its day or the rap of its day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in, that's just what people listen to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, so, Miles was always kind of killing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, from all intents and purposes, he was just all, he just had it. From the beginning. Yeah. And um, I don't remember what the name of the band was, but there was, like, a big band that was coming through East St. Louis mm -hmm. who had, like, Dizzy Gillespie was in right. that band. Right, Charlie Parker was in that band. Yeah. And Miles was already, like, building a name for himself as, like, yeah. a 17-year-old. That's the coolest thing about back in the days, right? Isn't it? Your name gets heard on the circuit or whatever. It's not millions of people doing the same thing. It's yeah, just, yeah. like, you know you know, just one or two people doing that. And it's like, oh, have you heard that kid Miles? And it's crazy. Like, less technology, but still, mm -hmm. everybody knew. Yeah, everybody knew. Well, it, the thing that was crazy, so he was in, like, a big band in that was based in East St. Louis. And, like, some of these people, you know, they were, like, grown-ass adults. Like, they would work during the day, and then they would come back to the band at night. Mm -hmm. And the musical director of the band was a 17-year-old kid <laughs> named Miles Davis. That's right. So when the this other band, this big band that was touring came through with, you know, these jazz legends, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, they were like, hey, you want to, like, sit in and, like, play with us a little bit? Mm -hmm. So he was already, like... Before he was even like a legal adult, yeah. he's already mixing mixing up with like the some of the most legendary jazz players ever. Exactly, and I think at that time his voice still said, "Sure, I want to sit in." Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because well, so he had the um the reason he ended up talking like that is because he had like a surgery on his throat when yes. he was older. So I don't know what his voice was like originally. Well, it was pretty normal and regular. Just like a regular ass voice. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so that's crazy. So he's 17 years old. He's already meeting like his idol basically in Charlie Parker. Yeah, yeah. Bird. That's what I call him. Bird. Not anybody else. Nobody else. Uh -uh. We just came up with that right now. That's right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so he's already killing it at 17. And then it's like time for him to, you know, be an adult and like go out and like make something of himself. And he was like... I got to go to New York because mm -hmm. he, you know, he met Bird and Dizzy Gillespie and they were all in the jazz scene up in New York. Yeah. He was like, that's where I want to go. Right. But his parents were like, okay, well, you got to do some like school or Finish something. school. You're yeah. not just going to go, just go be a jazz player. Right. He <laughs> wanted to go on tour and his mom's was like, no. And he was like, he didn't even like speak to her for two weeks. He didn't do the tour though. Mm. He didn't do the tour and he didn't speak to her for like a couple weeks, but that's back in the days, you know, you need something to fall back on. I mean, yeah. and that happens now too, still for people, you, you know, get something to fall back on. Don't put all your trust in your talents, which is insane, but I, I get it. And I get why like a parent would be like afraid for a kid. Just like, even though yeah. the kid is like really talented, it's just like, you want him to be able to talk about what he's playing at least, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, I feel like that was a good move on his parents, you know, because it did it stop him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Did he not progress into the biggest, you know, jazz musician like of his Ever? time? You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. No, he did not. Well, it's actually so funny. He's just like, oh, okay, well, you want me to go to school? Okay, I'll just casually go to Juilliard. That's right. <laughs> like, I want to see what's what over there and the who is who. So that made me laugh. And he's like, oh, okay, I have to go to school. I'll just go to like the best music school possible. So no big deal. So he goes over there. He comes here to the city of New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I guess the big jazz spot was 52nd street, Yeah, which I'm kind of curious about. I don't know if you would have any perspective on this, but I, that seems kind of random to me. For me too. When I, when I read it, I was just like, why 52? Like yeah. what's going on at 52? Like not 45, not even 49. Yeah. Like not even 53rd to be honest. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm it's, it sounds funny, but not even 53rd street Yeah. because 53rd street now <laughs> over on the West side is more like jazz. <laughs> Yo, anyone that, that doesn't know New York is like, why the fuck do you care about what difference of one street? It's a, <laughs> big deal it is a big deal but this is the thing like now 52nd street 
is like it's just office buildings. Yes. So it just seems so weird to me now that like that was the jazz spot. And also I would I would think that it would be in Harlem. Yeah. Which is so far from 52nd Street. Very, very far. I mean, Harlem was a mecca for many other things musically, but for like the, you know, the solid jazz, you know, for for the for the innovators, I guess it was like 52. I mean, yeah. It's just interesting the way that played out. Um, the jazz, a lot of the jazz musicians he knew didn't want him to go to Juilliard though. Yeah, that's, yeah. So what they were, they were like, okay, so, so he was meeting up with them. So he basically was living a double life for a while. Like Mm -hmm. he was going to Juilliard during the day. And then at night he was just out on 52nd street playing jazz with all these greats. And they were like, don't go to Juilliard, man, because if you, you learn all that music theory, you're not going to play with any soul. Yeah. Well, what they really said is you'll play white if you go to Juilliard. Yeah, because too analytical for them. Guys, the secret's out. Everybody knows white people don't have souls. No big deal. So, <laughs> they just so, weren't born with them. It's no. especially the redheaded ones. But, <laughs> but that's a different story. Uh, so, so, so eventually he did stop going to Juilliard, and he was just like, "Yeah, like this is what I'm doing. Like this is where I'm supposed to be on mm-hmm. 52nd Street." And now he's literally, well, it's funny. He was saying like when he went there, he was looking for Bird. Mm-hmm. And he was looking all over. He couldn't find him. And then one day he's walking down the street. Somebody comes up behind him. He's just like, hey, Miles, I heard you were looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, tweet, tweet, tweet. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I know what that means. Um, yeah, yeah. So then, so then literally like. For, the, for y'all that don't know, Charlie Parker is one of the most legendary jazz musicians also. Absolutely. And he already knew Miles from that time that they played together. Yes. So when he did find him in New York, he was like, yeah, come play. So he would invite Miles to come play with him. And he would literally just like throw Miles on stage by himself. Like he threw him in the fucking fire. Yeah. Like they were saying like the first couple of times, like Miles was like throwing up. Like he was so nervous. Like because yeah. Like, he's only like an 18 year old kid right and the biggest jazz star around is just like go do it yeah go do your thing kid yes and if you haven't heard new york is not the nicest place on earth it's not it's it's just not i i, I don't know if anybody's heard that but that's is, strange that's another secret that's out <laughs> yeah yeah the secret's out <laughs> everyone knew it in 44 and they knew it in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> so but it's just crazy because he was all in that he's basically had like five different careers Mm -hmm. and this was the first one where he's just all in these clubs he's making a name for himself with all these people on both sides of 52nd street that's right that's what they said they said on 52nd street it was on both sides of the street jazz (laughs) everywhere you can't get you can't go far from it you know what i mean yeah but um so he's meeting all these people he met this guy named bill evans who we'll get back to later, but um, basically they had like a really strong musical connection. He was like, Bill always like heard things the same way that I did. And he, you know, was able to like think of music in the same way that I did. Yeah. And, you know, they really connected and he's making all these friends in the jazz scene. And then eventually he goes to Paris Mm -hmm. and things get a little different there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to say the least. Because at this time, what is it? It's like 47, 48? Yes, yeah. So this is post-World War II right. Paris. Yes. And there's like a euphoria of like, we're not fucking held hostage by the Nazis anymore. Exactly, like, exactly. It's like a party in Paris. Food for everybody. Beautiful. And like, I mean, I've said it on um, other of our podcasts and shows before. I love how people in the world looked in the 1940s. Like you can just tell like... Things were kind of like a little bit better. And when you see the way people look in their pictures, like the hairstyles, everything, like, you know, there was a lot of turmoil still kind of happening, still happening here with like segregation and stuff like that. But when you look at everybody's pictures, like everybody just looks so gorgeous. Yeah. Like it's the best time. Well, it's, it's funny you think about it. Like the late 40s are just like, it's almost like a sigh of relief for the whole world. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all right, we got rid of that guy with that stupid ass mustache. Exactly. Charlie Chaplin? baby oh man (laughs) yeah that's that's what i meant Um, (laughs) so so he goes over to paris and he's immediately like well he no what was it he started dating this french like actress yeah that was like in like the artist scene in paris and so now he's like kind of brought into that scene Mm -hmm. and he's like treated you know as an equal by all these artists and intellectuals like he met fucking picasso right you know what i mean he met all these people yeah and he's just like really like living life yeah he's having a great time over there and 
that was good while it lasted. Yes. <laughs> but then I don't even know why he came back, honestly. Yeah, I was about to say then you got to come back here. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe visa issues or something. Uh, like... Probably visa issues. Um, I haven't read up totally on it. But speaking as somebody who has left the country and lived somewhere for a month, like America has some kind of like pull on you. It does yeah. like it has a pull on somebody who's actually from here. Like you feel I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you just feel like you're missing out on stuff. Mm. And then like, and then you, you just come back for whatever reason you come back to America. Yeah. So he, he, when he came back, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time nope. for him. No. Cause he's over there. I mean, like I said, he's accepted as an equal by all these artists and intellectual. And then he intellectuals multiple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Not just one. <laughs> uh, and then he comes back to a fucking racist ass America. Yes. And he's just like, fuck, this kind of sucks. Yeah. And he was kind of depressed and he kind of like lost control of his life for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, you know, he got lost and he was sad and stuff like that. And then boom, he picked up a habit. Like, you know. Yeah. That's he, and the, that's a bad habit to pick up. And if you're wondering what habit we're speaking about, it's it's about a dragon. Yes. A white, white dragon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a red and white spotted dragon. I'm just kidding. And um yeah, no, he he de- he develops a heroin addiction. Yeah. Because he's just so like Honestly, he's just depressed to be back in America. Yeah, that's very unfortunate because that's a serious habit to pick up. You know what I mean? You know, you're pretty much on the verge of death. And um, coming from such an affluential background and to be such an intellectual and to, you know, uh, for me, it's like you can't really be an intellectual and be a racist like that. Those don't those two Mm. don't come together like you just can't be. So for for to me for him to succumb to that is like really that's that's heartbreaking you know what i'm saying because we're talking about a really smart guy not just a trumpet player or you know not to diss people that haven't gone to school for playing the trumpet but he's not just a street musician hanging out and doesn't know uh how to speak intelligently how to Mm -hmm. you know like you said go around and be with like different crowds of people people that are high up so he he actually had the brain power and the intelligence to come back here and be like, these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm better than these people. Like, he had that in him. But to the fact that it, it must have been so oppressive, you mm-hmm. know? And, and and I don't know where he came back to uh, initially. Like, I don't know if he came back to New York. But if he came back to New York and felt like that, like, oh, my I think God. Like, imagine, imagine him going back to the South. He probably would have blown his brains out, like, to be honest. Like, well, that's... And kind of what ended up... Ha- well, he didn't blow his brains out, but, <laughs> but I should have worded that a little better. Um, but okay, so basically that's... The heroin is the end of career one for Yeah. Him, where yeah. he didn't... During this time, he didn't really release many recordings, but right. he was all in the jazz scene. Yes. Right, right. So he was very known in the jazz scene, but like the main... Like big audiences weren't really going to know him because he didn't have like his own band he wasn't really releasing recordings right and then he comes back he gets into heroin this is the thing about heroin we've talked about this before (laughs) like you know when you're young a lot of people you know like experiment with different like drugs and things but for me like i was like there's no matter what circumstance there's two things i'm never in my life gonna ever fucking do and it's heroin and it's crack yes because I don't know what it is about them, but they must be, they must be so great. Yeah. That you just don't give a fuck about anything but that. Right. You're like, you're over here, you're playing the music you've always wanted to play. You're, you've earned the respect of your idols. You know, the people that you've looked up to since you were a little kid growing up in East St. Louis. And then you have all that on the table and then you're just kind of like, yo, but my dealer got this new shit. I don't give a fuck about any of that. Right, yeah. Like, that's crazy. It is, it is. It's very, very crazy. And then just, like, you know, what those drugs do to your appearance and stuff like that, and it's just like, wow. Like, I mean, that's some serious emotional and uh, mental turmoil to actually choose that and then to choose to um, not only put it inside you, but then to succumb again there's that word uh, to it like you know what Mm. i mean you become a prisoner of it and that's sad and the thing that's really sad is this kind of becomes a cycle throughout his life yeah of different drugs like he gets really successful then he gets into drugs and it's just kind of his career is really up and down yeah but um basically he's addicted to heroin he's in new york and like his family like comes out there 
it was like, yo, we're bringing you back home. Like, you're fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, you need some time off or whatever. Yeah. So he goes back to East St. Louis and he cleans up. Yeah. Um, and like this time period, I mean, we're talking years here. Like, we're talking years where he really wasn't putting out music. Like, yeah. his life was just crumbling. Yeah. Because like decades. Yeah, it's almost a decade. Yeah. So he does go back to East St. Louis, and he does spend some time with his family. He eventually does get clean, and then he makes his triumphant return mm-hmm. to the city <laughs> of New Amsterdam. I mean, New York. <laughs> and he gets back, and then this is where things start going a little better for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he starts making his own bands, right? which include... Other completely legendary yes. jazz musicians. Yes, yes. I mean, he's got Coltrane. Uh huh. He's got he's got so many fucking people. He's I got mean, a chick. He's got a lot of people in there. Um, uh, uh, I forgot. It's it's Jarrett. It's Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett. Chick Corea. He's got a good lineup. You got a budding Herbie Hancock who comes up later on in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, a little it's later. Insane, a little later. But like, yeah, you know, and 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 to think about it. So when he comes back from Paris, you know, the 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 pressure and the oppression that he felt. It, it's it's interesting because it's like his people must have felt that too, right? Because that's the turn of the tide, right? He comes back and he makes his triumphant return just in time for like pretty much around the civil rights and like, you know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. when, so what he was feeling, you know, is what kind of everybody was feeling like, I Mm. can't take this shit no more. Like, you know what I mean? Like enough. So I'm glad that he comes back right when there's like literally a revolution. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So that's great. And not only a revolution socially, but also musically. Absolutely. With him. Yeah. Because this is the thing. So jazz at that point, it was all about a bebop, mm-hmm. like which was really fast. Mm-hmm. It was a very fast style, like really fast chord changes, and it was kind of the style that was, you know, it had been popular, and he had more or less gotten really good at it before. Right. Um, but now, you know, he's still doing that, and he's kind of getting a little bit disillusioned with it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, like there's so much. The way that I heard it, somebody say it was like there was too much focus on virtuosity and being a virtuoso with their instrument that it was like, it was just getting too complicated and like people, it was becoming less and less like accessible. Rel- yeah. Relatable and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. Cause you, yeah, you don't want to like alienate your audience. Like what I can't understand. Like, right. you know, good right. night, sir. Like, <laughs> you don't want to do that to them. And it's, it's all those like really fast runs. Like all that super fast shit. Mm-hmm. The, you, the kind of jazz I can't stand to be honest. And neither can miles. <laughs> And this is the thing that's so cool about Miles. He was just always trying to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. And he kind of looked around at the musical scene. He was like, okay, this is what everybody's doing. How do I do the exact opposite of this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then this is where Bill Evans comes back. Because he, Bill Evans was a piano player and like a music theorist who had kind of been like playing around with this idea of something called modal jazz. Yes. So, all right, so... If we have any people listening to us right now or watching this right now that aren't musicians, we're about to lose you right now. <laughs> because I've been playing music for more than half my life and this shit is still kind of hard to explain. Uh-uh. <laughs> but it was a modal jazz. I'm going to get into it. It was something that Bill Evans was kind of working out in theory, but it was something that Miles was actually able to make happen. Yes. So... I have here, wait, where do I have it? Oh, wait, I have here a vinyl copy of Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Not only is it kind of blue, but it's actually really blue. And it's beautiful. If you're not watching on YouTube, you you should go look at the color of this blue because it's like mesmerizing. But anyway, I'm not going to try to explain modal jazz. (laughs) So I'm going to let Bill Evans do it for me. Yes. Because on the back of this record, Bill Evans wrote an article that I'm going to read to you people. And it's called Improvisation in Jazz. Mm -hmm. Do you want to... Can I do this part and then you do this part so we both read some of it? I can't read. Oh, sorry. No, no, just kidding. Of course, I'll Sorry, I forgot. Gosh. (laughs) All right, so we're going to switch it off. But this is um, Improvisation in Jazz by Bill Evans. And this is actually beautifully written. I really like this. There's a Japanese visual art in which the artist is forced to be spontaneous. He must paint on a thin stretched parchment 
with a special brush and black water paint in such a way that an unnatural or interrupted stroke will destroy the line or break through the parchment. Erasures or changes are impossible. These artists must practice a particular discipline, that of allowing the idea to express itself in communication with their hands in such a direct way that deliberation cannot interfere. So basically, this is all about improv. Mm -hmm. This shit is not really written out. Miles will have like a very rough sketch of Correct. what he wants to do, and he'll just bring it to the musicians because all the people in his band he knows, he trusts, he knows that they're great. Yeah. So he's like, if I bring this to them, they're going to do it right. Yeah. So the resulting pictures lack the complex composition and textures of ordinary painting, but it is said that those who see well find something captured that escapes explanation. The conviction that direct deed is the most meaningful reflection, I believe, has prompted the evolution of the extremely severe and unique disciplines of the jazz or improvising musician. Group improvisation is a further challenge. Aside from, aside from the weighty technical problem of collective coherent thinking, there is the very human, even social need for sympathy from all members to bend for the common result. The most difficult problem, I think, is beautifully met and solved on this recording. Whoa. Oh. Bill. Bill hyping himself up a little bit, but that's cool. <laughs> As the painter needs his framework of parchment, the improvising musical group needs its framework in time. Miles Davis presents here frameworks which are exquisite in their simplicity and yet contain all that is necessary to stimulate performance with a sure reference to the primary conception. It's a lot of words. Yeah. Miles conceived these settings only hours before the recording dates and arrived with sketches which indicated to the group what was to be played. Therefore, you will hear something close to pure spontaneity in these performances. The group had never played these pieces prior to the recordings, and I think without exception that the first complete performance of each was the one that made it to the album. Wow. That's fucking wild. Mm -hmm. Although it is not uncommon for a jazz musician to be expected to improvise on new material at a recording session, the character of these pieces represents a particular challenge. So I'll give this to you for this part. Yeah. But basically, I'm going to try to explain what the fuck that means. <laughs> like, most of the time, like, in music, there's, like, a set chord progression or they have set melodies. Right. And, like, you know kind of what you have to do. And yeah. it's, you can improvise a little bit, but you're in a little bit of a box. Where modal jazz, instead of chords, they'll just be like, okay, here, just play anything in this scale. Yes. For this amount of time. Yeah. And it's every single person at the same time improvising. So nobody, as you're playing, knows what the other person is going to do. Mm -hmm. So every single time you go through, it's completely different every time. It basically cannot be played the same way twice, no matter how hard you tried to do it. Yes. yes. So that is just interesting, and it's just like crazy to think of. Like yeah. It's just like a thought exercise in music almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of creativity I thrive for. Like I love. Miles is like the Biggie Smalls of trumpets. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we can get back to that. Okay. So uh, continuing on with the article that Bill Evans wrote, briefly, the formal character of the five settings are, so what is a simple figure based on 16 measures of one scale, eight of another, and eight more of the first following a piano and bass introduction in free rhythmic style. Freddie is a, 12 measure blues form given new personality by effective melodic and rhythmic simplicity. Blue in green is a 10 measure circular form following a four measure introduction and played by soloists in various augmentation and diminution of time values. Flamenco sketches is a 6 8 12 measure blues form that produces its mood through only a few modal changes and miles davis's free melodic conception all blues is a series of five scales each to be played as long as the soloist wishes until he has completed the series okay so everybody's at the behest of the soloist you know and you have to play within that scale form and um, i mean this can be seen in dance as well it can be seen in choreography which is like so amazing and so 
It's not strange, but it, it, it is strange at the same time. It's strange and familiar, which is the great thing about the great Miles Davis, mm-hmm. you know. And it's so crazy to think about, like, the first one, what did it say? It was um, 16 measures of one scale, <laughs> eight of another. That's So, like, you think about that, like, for a musician, 16 bars is a lot. Mm-hmm. That's basically a whole verse. You're just yeah. like, here, you just have a scale. Go for it. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. It's so crazy. And it only works because he knows all these musicians and he knows how good they are. Yes. And they just pull it off so beautifully. Yeah. And it sounds so great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But now I want to talk a little bit about Miles' actual like trumpet style. Yes. Because this is going to sound a little bit backwards, but I've realized as, we're, as I was looking things up for this, Miles Davis is to the trumpet what Jimi Hendrix was to the guitar. Yes, absolutely. In the way that... There was a before and an after, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, like Jimi Hendrix played guitars in a way that like nobody ever thought of doing before, mm-hmm. and ever since then, it just completely changed the way that people think of the guitar. And Miles did the exact same thing with the trumpet. He did this thing. So actually, we we kind of skipped over this a little bit. So when he came back, his big like comeback performance mm-hmm. was the Newport Jazz Festival. Yes, and he did something at that performance that was like crazy at the time that nobody did before. First of all, he used a mute on his trumpet. Yeah. Which really changed the tone of it. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the real bright, like, burr, 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 the, the mute kind of makes it. Yeah. So it gives it more of like a somber. somber. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Tone to it. Yeah. And not only did he use the mute, but he literally puts the mic right into it. Yeah. So it's almost like he's whispering into the mic with yes. his trumpet. Yes. Yeah. And then the, the vibration is so different once the mic is all the way inside the trumpet like that. Exactly. You know? It makes it feel like like you're being engulfed by the trumpet in a way. Yeah. And it's just so crazy. I was thinking about this. I really don't know any other instrumentalist that I know it's them by one note. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, think about that shit. Like, like, like you can literally... You, I've literally been in, like, restaurants. And I just hear... And I'm like... I think that's Miles Davis. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like I, I, I will. I guess we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, you're you're totally right with that. It's like, and and I think um, I was I was looking at this uh, documentary really briefly, and um, the, the guy who was um, talking was like, I don't even think people today, you know, even so young people don't know who Miles Davis is. And I'm like, I bet you they do, but they, they don't. Know. Yeah, they do, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny you say that because even when I was like, I was listening to a lot of Miles getting ready for this, and there were so many songs. I'm like, oh, I know this. <laughs> like, I've heard this so many times. Yeah. But it's so crazy because, like, there are musicians that, you know, if you listen to them, you know that it's them. This is an example that I want to use. Like, Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. You know that it's Eddie Van Halen playing guitar, but not the whole time. Right. Only when he gets it to that level. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like you can hear like bow 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 like anyone can play that yeah. it's only when he goes into the like all the wild shit like yeah. like on like the beat it solo with michael yeah. jackson like you don't need to credit Eddie Van Halen cuz you know it's fucking Eddie Van Halen right but miles is one note mhm that's insane it i is. really don't know any other person that i can hear one note of their instrument and i know who it is right like the amount of soul and feel and personality that he put into his instrument is just unmatched yes absolutely to this day i feel like you know i mean i'm not super into the jazz scene now but i i don't know of any like innovator that can really like go toe to toe with his sound and his style of you know we're in the 21st century now and even though it's like pretty much just begun i mean you know you know it would be it would be like saying okay well like 10 years from now we're gonna have another miles davis when it's just like i don't, I don't know believe it. yeah i yeah. don't know if that's gonna happen nah it's just crazy but so, so they do all that. They, they're doing the modal jazz. He's got his sound. You know, he's coming back. He's off of drugs. They put out this record, Kind of Blue, and um, he basically becomes a rock star. <laughs> I mean, I guess a jazz star if you want to get, yeah. you know, super into it. But now, like, this record, it becomes the best-selling jazz record ever. Yes, still to this day. And, oh, yeah, another thing. So when he did the Newport Jazz Fest, there were scouts from Columbia Records, which mm-hmm. was, like, the richest record label at the time. Yes. So he balled out on that performance, and he got signed. So now he's on Columbia. This record was put out on Columbia, mm-hmm. and it blows up. So he's got money now. Yeah. And he's fucking balling. Mm-hmm. I mean, this dude, he's literally, he's wearing the fancy suits. 
He's fucking driving Ferraris. He's got it. Um, his wife, Frances, who's yeah. like a star in her own right. She's right. like an amazing dancer and she's beautiful. And like everywhere they go, it's just like, oh, these people are just the coolest. Yeah. Like these people are just fucking killing it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. He's, he just became really embodied like that cool jazz feel like everything from the suits so you'd be wearing sunglasses and just like his whole vibe yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah and like that kind of gives you um kind of like autonomy over like a lot of things you know so it's like he just becomes like it's almost like miles davis the legend in a way the myth mm. the man you know what i mean and it's like mm -hmm. it's like you're not even seeing like if you see him it's not even a person anymore it's it's miles davis right right you know? right and I was seeing all these people. So he's always trying to um, keep his bands like young with like new emerging talent so we can like kind of stay ahead of it. Yeah. And like there's people that were in his band that was like, yeah, like I didn't just want to play with Miles Davis. I wanted to be Miles Davis. That's amazing. Because he was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's amazing. Like, I mean, I could totally um, see that. I'd be like, yes, sir, Mr. Davis, sir. No, sir, Mr. Davis. <laughs> oh my God. They were so terrified of him. <laughs> Whatever you want, Mr. Davis. Another, another, another quick story I heard about him. One time he went, to, he went back to Paris and somebody wanted him to score a movie. Oh, wait, sorry. No, he was, he went to Paris to like play with some band in Europe and he literally walked in. He never met any of these people before. He walks in. He doesn't even say hi. He just starts playing. <laughs> And all the other yeah. guys are like, okay, well, we're already fans of Miles, so we know what he's playing, so we'll just start playing too. So then they're just jamming. Dude has not said one fucking word. And they're just jamming for like an hour or two. And then he just kind of finishes and he's like, all right, you're in. And he, wa <laughs> and he walks out. <laughs> he's like, that's it. That's great. That's his hello. Come on in and play. That's his hello. Yeah, in music. Basically. Yeah, you know, that's, that's beautiful. And, um, you know, there there's only like a few people that can really understand that kind of temperament and like, you know, and um, style and personality and stuff. So that's what um, that's what makes it all kind of great. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because not only was he able to be pretty much a, a virtuoso, a genius in his own right of, of everything that he kind of touched, but he attracted those kind of people, even his predecessors and his um, people that came after him. It's just like, you know, you were able to bring that all in together and like just have the music be amazing. And, you know, and then he birthed like so many other people that were just as amazing. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? People where you're like, well, thank God we still have you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Herbie? Yeah. yeah like, yeah. don't leave us Herbie. Like, yeah, no, he just, he was all like, his musical tree is like, it's got to be, like, the best. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you could throw Zappa in there. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to mention but, him a couple of times while we were yeah. talking because he did come to mind in terms of, like, you know, what solos you don't hear them the second time around that sounds the same and how um, even all the Zappites that I'm, I'm going to call the kids that came under Frank Zappa who have become, like, virtuosos and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that in their own right. Like, I mean, I watched Steve Vai play the other day and, like, I, I was like afraid while he was playing. Like his style was completely intimidating He's to just me. Too like, good. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, oh, like you know, that came out of like Frank Zappa's tree. But yeah, Miles Davis is that man, like that that I can do that, and it's just like, yeah, and that's interesting. It's kind of something you kind of mentioned earlier is like how like his idea of like the improv and like the free the freedom of it. Like it, this wasn't just something that was influential in jazz. This was just influential in all kinds of music it was influential in dance yeah like you're saying and then obviously it influences rock musicians mm -hmm. which is you know what the time period that we're kind of getting into now yeah it definitely influenced frank zappa yes i mean there's no way that it didn't no way that it didn't but and like most of the best jazz i mean the best rock drummers were basically jazz drummers like you know what i'm saying one of my favorites ginger baker was like jazz drummer and you know john bonham loved jazz and stuff like so it's just amazing how and they all kind of do come out of the same tree. They birth each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's soul, then it's blues, and then it's jazz, and then it's rock, and then it's hip hop. Like it all kind of comes down the same like uh, trail and stuff. But it's just crazy how you wouldn't really, if you were just like a a stranger to music itself, and you heard like rock, mm -hmm. and you're like, well, some of these these guys were just like total jazz fans. You'd be like, how? Like, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? But that's, that's so, that's something it's really so funny cool you about say it. That. Yeah. Cause no, like, cause this, cause rock really was just like a fusion of so many different things. Yeah. And it was like, obviously very heavy, uh, blues influence. 
But like a lot of like old blues would be like, you know, just a person with an acoustic guitar singing their heart out. So right. there wouldn't really be drums, other things. So like, so then you have someone like, um, we didn't really talk about him too much, but like Art Blakely. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Who is just like a crazy drummer, like crazy yeah. good drummer. And then when you hear rock musicians, you're realizing that basically what they're doing is they're taking the jazz drumming and fusing it with the blues guitar and the yes. blues tones that's that a great take. kind of turns into rock. It kind yeah. of turns into Led Zeppelin. You yeah. know what I mean? They're like filling that kind of shit. in like the long drawl of the the blues. They're like like they're filling in all those like little spots that you know, they're not holes, but they have spots to fill in. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and that's the cool thing about it too. Yeah, hundred percent. And so now so what we're now we're in like the early sixties. Um obviously the environment of the country is changing, mm -hmm. the environment of the music scene is changing. Yeah. And rock is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because, you know, they were talking about in this documentary I was watching how there were rock bands that were selling out fucking stadiums now. So you could make as much money in one big rock show as you could playing in jazz clubs for a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny because at first I heard Miles wasn't super happy with the way that things were going as far as jazz and rock. Because yeah. jazz was kind of going down and rock was going like this. And what I heard him, he apparently he went into Clive Davis's office and said this to Clive Davis, <laughs> another Davis who is unrelated, but we could probably do a whole episode on Clive Davis, honestly. We could, we could. But that's a different story for a you know different day. Um, so I heard he went into Clive Davis's office. He's like, this is fucking bullshit. Look at all these fucking long hair white kids ripping off my music and shit. I'm out. I don't want to be a Columbia anymore. <laughs> and, and, and Clive Davis is like, Miles, why don't you, you know, fuck around with this a little bit? Like, if they, like, you can do this. Like, this isn't hard for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Miles is kind of thinking about it. He was like, I kind of realized that all of these rock bands, like, they didn't really know shit about music. And they were filling up stadiums. Yeah. And if they could do it, then I could do it way better than them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now, now you're at a time where, you know, Jimi Hendrix is coming up. You know, Sly and the Family Stone's coming up. Yeah. I want to take it higher. <laughs> like, all that shit. Yeah. And, and now, Miles, his, his attitude's a little changed. He's like, oh, like, I need, to, I need to bring this into what I'm doing. Yeah. So now he's like... It's actually really funny. He was like, I want to get an electric bass player. So he was talking to his his upright bass player. He was like, why don't you just play the electric bass? And he's like, I can't fucking do that. <laughs> like, that's a, whole, that's a whole different thing, bro. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he was like, all right. So we fired him. <laughs> he's like, it's strings, man. You can't play strings. And he just basically creates this whole new band that's like, becomes the start of jazz rock yeah and you know who else was part of this was john mclaughlin yes very interesting i'm like what and then yeah we did a couple of videos that are john uh, mclaughlin legendary guitarist who we've yes. only really recently been introduced to right from our reaction videos and on youtube from, uh, <laughs> and he's part of the mahavishnu orchestra but before he brought that out he was uh, a legendary guitarist in his own right at mm. that time too and um yeah i mean this guy's fingers are crazy so, mm -hmm. I mean, Miles is like, bring your crazy fingers over here. Yeah. And let's work this out. Yeah. And it's just so cool because this style is just completely different than the kind of blue style. Yeah. And by the way, um, the kind of blue style is so, like, open that it's so fun to play with. It almost feels like you can't play a wrong note. Yes. Yes. Which I think I'm going to speak this into existence now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a guitar jam over a Miles Davis song on the Patreon. So go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Music Maniacs if you want to see that. It'll be up in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they go from the cool jazz to the jazz rock, which is just the trippiest fucking shit. <laughs> it's <laughs> insane. Like, it literally sounds like the parts of your brain that you're kind of scared of. Yeah, yeah, it you really know? does. Don't go down there. Don't mm -hmm. go in there. It sounds like it's in the... It's at, I was... There's... Sorry, guys. There's just a lot to talk about. I get excited. I heard Santana, Carlos Santana talking about this. Yes. And first of all, this is, reminds me of something else that Santana said. He once said that when he plays guitar, he always tries to play the opposite of what the band is doing. Mm -hmm. So if the band is going like this, mm -hmm. then Santana's going like this. Yeah. yeah. And if the band's going like this, then Santana's going like that. 
Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So that's kind of what the kind of blue style really was in a way. Mm-hmm. He's like, Miles is like, it's more about what you don't play than what you do play. Yeah. You know, so that's interesting. So that's already the foundation. Right. And then you bring in all the electric instruments and you bring in the jazz to the rock and he just brings it to a place that's completely different. And it's like, it was so funny. Santana was like, it got to like, some people didn't get it. And it's just like, if you don't get it, you just got to open up your fucking mind, man. Like you don't understand and blah, blah, blah. He was kind of going off on people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and it's just, it's just the craziest sound. Like it, when you have it on paper, it shouldn't work. Cause he's got like two bass players like four drummers, two piano players, <laughs> and they're all improvising. Uh-huh. And it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't. But when it goes through Miles Davis, it fucking works. It does work. Believe it. And other people pick up that formula. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I hear Miles Davis in Sly in the Family Stone. I hear him in Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, you know, and then look at their setup. You know what I'm saying? How mm-hmm. many people are on that stage? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's still, it's like the same influence. And it's crazy. It's crazy. This is um kind of like with my, um well, not my theory, but a lot of people say geniuses are made. They're not necessarily born. And they always have like a, a conglomerate of people around them. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So he comes in and he's pissed off and he wants to get off of Columbia Records. And Clive is like, no, why don't you just do this? And he's like, shit, like, you know, why not? (laughs) It's a good idea. And then that just flips the whole script on music. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Just because he said, all right, well, I am smart. Like, you know what I mean? I could do that. uh, You know what I mean? So like, that's that's one of the greatest things ever. I think that adds to the geniusness of 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 being a genius. Being a genius is definitely what he does best. <laughs> so now, yeah, it's just, he completely changed his whole style. He he completely just brought in all these other influences. I heard another story. Him and his, one of his band members, they went to some, like, Indian restaurant on, like, 24th Street. Mm-hmm. And they were just talking about, you know, just whatever. They weren't even talking about music for, like, two hours. And then they're walking out, and Miles is just like, so what you, what'd you think about that? And the, guys, the other guy's like about what like what are you talking about like <laughs> the music in the india restaurant he's like i liked it he's like yeah so he's like oh maybe i should bring in some like sitars there maybe i should bring in some like indian percussion so he's just there there was a period from like 69 bitches brew was the name of the album right with uh john and uh, yeah on it of like the original like jazz rock like yes. this is it, like it's arrived yeah which is also funny because he wanted to call it Bitches Brew. <laughs> and the label's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, and I think even his band members were like, are you sh- Like, can we do that? And he was like, I can. <laughs> or like, whatever the fuck. He's like, I don't give a fuck what they think. This is what it's called. Yeah. And, and that's what it's called? Yeah. People definitely were going to buy it. Come on. If you're yeah. a fan of Miles Davis, how could you not buy that? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Even if you were like super, you know, whatever conservative and stuff like that like how could you not buy it exactly and that music just it just encapsulated so many things of what was happening at the time yeah you can hear the feel the vibe the pulse it's just crazy how much miles davis is like the sound of to me of new york city 100 percent. like whoa whoa and that's why i say like you know a lot of young kids they do know him they just don't know him you know you can walk into any like toy store uh clothing store everything you can walk into all these places and you're just like you're hearing this jazz you're hearing this music it sounds like music no it doesn't sound like music but it sounds like background music to Mm -hmm. what you're doing and that's there he is that smiles i just realized this as you're saying it they might not know miles davis as a particular song but they all know what Miles Davis feels like. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Because it's so true. <laughs> like, it really is just such a vibe of, of everything. And that's the thing that's so crazy. Is he had so many different vibes yeah. throughout his career. Yeah. But we're, we're talking about the rock one now. Yeah. <laughs> so. And if you do, like, watch this podcast or listen to it and you don't know Miles Davis, like, I, I suggest, if you if you think jazz rock is something like a flub or just, like, listen to that Bitches Brew album. Like, oh, my gosh. It's so it's so today. It's so happening. It's so now. Like, you know what I mean? Would you call it timeless? Oh, I will. I will. Well, the general consensus is that Miles made two complete masterpieces in his life that are completely timeless. And one is kind of blue. Yeah. And one is bitches brew. Yeah. And honestly, like you can just listen to them at any time and it's not going to be old. Like yeah. you can find something new in them 
every time you listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from like whatever, Bitches Brewed, he put out a few albums where he's just combining all these different styles. He's basically, some would say he's laying the foundation for even like house music, hip hop music, like all this shit that mm-hmm. was to come after. Yeah. And he's just, it's a wild period of creativity from like 69 to 75 or something. He's just putting out all these albums. And at some point, he just kind of like, I don't know if I have anything left. <laughs> he's just like, I, he's, I'm tired. He's like, how many times do you want me to reinvent music, people? I can only do it so many times. Damn it, people. I'm a trumpeteer, not yeah. a, not God. <laughs> so as Miles does, um, he starts getting into drugs again. Yeah, because there's nothing else to do. Made so much music. Why not make some drugs? I can't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> He's cooking up the drugs. Nah, he's not making them, but he's definitely consuming them. Yes. Um, not heroin this time. Mostly cocaine and alcohol. Yeah. Which Ooh. is a terrible combination. Oh, gosh. If you know anything about anybody. Whiskey bottles and broken glass. Yeah, so he's just, I mean, he's he just really had like a fucking break. Like, I mean, he literally like, his, I, I might be getting my time periods mixed up, but I know like he... Like, his wife was in West Side Story, and he was like, nah, you can't do that, because he was, like, just go. He was all jealous, and he was on drugs, and he was just, like, he just was kind of, like, a fucked up person for a while. Yeah, you know, cocaine tends to do that to people. Yeah. bad. Oh, I forgot to mention, also, during this, um, the bitches brew period, he started dating somebody else who was, like, kind of, like, a young, like, hippie artist. Mm -hmm. So now he's not wearing the suits anymore. No, no. Now he's wearing the dope 60s, like, trippy-ass shit. Mm -hmm. He got the feathers now. But he still is just so cool. Yeah, yeah. He's just always fucking cool. Uh Like, it just is what it is. So now he's kind of going off the deep end again after the whole jazz rock period. Mm -hmm. His, His health is declining. Like, he literally fell asleep at the wheel. On his, his fucking Lamborghini, because of course he's driving a Lamborghini. I mean, come on, we're talking about Miles Davis. In the Lambo. He's in the Lambo, and he fucking hits the median, yeah. and Ooh. he was in the hospital for months. Yeah, because when you hit the median, chances are you're not going to survive. But he survived. Yes, he did. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy for him. Right. He was just in just incredible pain from the time he woke up to the time that he went to sleep, which Sucks. is why, again, the drugs started coming back. He started... I mean, he needed prescription drugs just to live at some point, but then Mm -hmm. he also, you know, more cocaine, more alcohol, Mm -hmm. and he's just becoming, like, just a paranoid fucking guy. Like, he's literally, this other story, like, his friend, he was telling me he he drove him up to Harlem, and Davis, (laughs) it was, like, him and, like, somebody that Miles was, like, seeing at the time, like, so there was three of them, they drive up to, like, a fucking building in Harlem, and Miles just walks in the building, he's like, wait here. And then he comes back like two hours later. There's like cocaine on his face <laughs> and shit. And he's just like looking at his friend. He's like, I know you fucked my wife, didn't you? Or some shit like that. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, I'm not leaving until you admit that you fucked her. And he's just like, what, the, what are you talking about? He's like, we're not going anywhere until you admit that. And he's just like, you're right. I fucked her on the hood of the car in the middle of the day. Can we leave now? And he's just like, I knew it. I thought we were friends. <laughs> it's like, jeez. That's like, the power of Miles Davis. <laughs> like, yeah, because the guy, he's like, what am I going to say to Miles? <laughs> it's actually kind of wild. Um, so I mean, it's actually kind of sad in a way, too, because it's kind of enabling. Yeah. As far as that wild yeah. drug adult behavior. Yeah, because that's totally the time um, and the era where you grab somebody and you shake them. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no but therapy shaking involved. Miles. Nobody's, nobody's shaking, shaking miles. miles. Nobody's giving up across the face either. Nah, it's not going down. <laughs> so, so Miles, I mean, he just went down that dark path. And I mean, he didn't even play his trumpet for years. Mm-hmm. He literally said there was like five years where I didn't even touch my horn. Yeah. Which I can't even imagine that. Yeah. I can't imagine going a year without touching a guitar. Yeah. And I'm not fucking Miles Davis. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But that's how much a part of it. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking about like what's coming later, but that's how much a part of you, the horn is. It's like, it's almost like, oh, well, I'm not going to, um, I don't know. I'm not going to eat beef or something like that. Really. Which he also tried to do. He also tried to be a vegetarian at some point. <laughs> Does not work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So he just, again, another cycle of his career going down. We're Now we're on, like, his third career. Yeah. <laughs> but so eventually, like, a jazz promoter that he knew from back in the day 
was like, we're putting on this concert. I'll pay you $75,000 to do this one concert. Cha-ching. And Miles is like, I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You bring the 75 right now. So the guy writes him a check right there for half, for 35. That's right. And Miles is like, all right, I guess I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, I would have done the whole thing for the 35, but uh, there you go. So he plays the show, and he's back. That's and right. then that's, I guess that's all, I guess all it takes is a cool 35, 70 grand for you to be like, I like music again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now it starts a whole nother career where he's Correct. doing it completely different than he ever was doing it before. Yeah. And he's actually like, well, it's, it, it's actually like super eighties now. Yes. The sound of it. Yeah. It's like now they got like drum machines. Yeah. And he's actually like sitting there in the studio with like headphones, like playing to a backing track. Yeah. Which he never in his fucking 50 year career ever did before. Exactly. Which is so crazy. Like even after all of that, he's not playing his horn for years. He's like, I'm kind of done with music. I don't know what else I can do to really innovate. All of a sudden he's just back in it doing shit that he never did before. Yeah. Like it's nothing. He just. Yeah. Drops back into it. That's how much music is him and how much he is music. Like, you know, it's the, like, it's not Miles Davis. It's like, it's it's not a person. It's like a name. It's like a thing. It's an entity, you know. My, a, a, a Miles Davis came in. It's like a winter storm warning. Like, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so he... That did, was very ominous. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> the Miles Davis. It's just insane. And, and... And, and it's so great that he's completely open like that where he, he sees a backing track and he's not like, oh, fuck the 35. I refuse to do this shit. Like, you know what I mean? Because there are a lot of artists who kind of um, teetered out and because of that. You know mm. what I mean? Because they refused to flip over into the new trend or mm. whatever it was. And he was just like, let me at it. Like, Yeah, that's his whole thing. He was never afraid to embrace the new style, the new school or whatever. I imagine a lot of... Because, you know, at this point... Jazz is not the commercial, you know, powerhouse that it was. Right. Now rock music is the biggest thing, yeah. but he rode that wave. Yeah. You know what I mean? And where I'm sure a lot of old head jazz musicians were like, oh, fuck this new rock music, blah, blah, blah. I don't want any part of this. Absolutely. He wasn't, no, that was not his style. He just was complete. He was always innovating. He was always trying to do new things. Mm-hmm. And then, so it gets to the eighties. And then this is the thing that's even crazier. So this whole time, like he's very like. I think it's really interesting the difference between like the vulnerability in his music yeah. and like him as a person. Yeah. Because he was so like cold to everybody. Like yeah. he put up such a shield. Yeah. Like, cause you know, like we said earlier, like he was born with a normal ass voice mm-hmm. and then he had like a surgery on his throat and it fucked up his voice for the rest of his life. And people were like, when they first happened, like he, they were making fun of him and shit. And he just like kind of withdrew into himself and he just became kind of like, you know, kind of a cold person to people that he didn't know. Like, he put up a wall. Mm-hmm. And then here we are now in the 80s after his third, fourth, fifth career. Right. And now he's doing all these talk shows. He's doing interviews at every city. He's, like, actually being, like, a outgoing, like, like gregarious kind of person. Yeah. And it's just, like, so crazy. It's, like, now it's, like, not only is he just completely different as a musician, but it's almost like he's a completely different person now. Yeah towards his the end of his life that's really cool and then kind of going back a little bit to like the sound of new york one of my most favorite christmas movies of all time is scrooged mm. with bill murray in it and there's a scene where like bill murray's walking in the street and there are these musicians playing out in the streets like that and you're just hearing the background jazz noise of new york city and lo and behold it's miles davis they are standing there playing his trumpet like a street musician in uh-huh. the thing and I, even as a little kid i was like it's miles davis yeah. like that's crazy so yeah like i mean there he is being social and like you know what i'm saying not being a like a recluse or anything right. like that it's crazy he's out there and he's like in a comedy movie now like, and that's some shit he never would have done in the 50s oh no no yeah like you want me to be in your fucking movie <laughs> where's that 75 grand oh my god there's so many funny stories where this is back you know in 50s era there was like some young you know jazz player he's like yeah i, I you know i saw miles in the club and like i asked him if i could sit in with him and he just looked at me. He was like, fuck you. <laughs> you can't sit in with me. <laughs> I swear to God. It's in this documentary I was just watching when you walked in. <laughs> it's, it made me laugh so hard. If that kid knew any better, he would have just sat in and started playing. If he nah, It's better for, ask for forgiveness than permi- permission, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that's just, it's just crazy because like, it's like his whole life switched yeah like the music his personality was just so different yeah and then 
that was basically the last of his many careers. Yeah, yeah. It's eight. I mean, well, he pretty much died right a little after, right? The 90s came, and he was like, fuck the year 2000. I'm not staying here. <laughs> I'm joking. over this Y2K shit. <laughs> I, I need my computers shit. to work. Exactly. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, um, that was coming towards the end of his life, not yeah. just, you know, his career, you know. Something else that was in that documentary... Um, I think it's called Birth of the Cool. I think it's on Netflix. Yes. Um, I haven't seen it, but it's pretty awesome. Pretty cool, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, ah, what was I going? What was I about to say? (laughs) I totally forgot. I got wrapped up with the corniness. Towards the end of his life. Oh, yeah. It was the Montreux Jazz Festival, 1991. First time him and Quincy Jones were ever on the stage together. Yeah. And that was like the end of his life. Yeah. And oh, a quick other story about Miles from about Quincy Jones. This was again, this is when he was all on the drugs and he was kind of a fucked up person. His wife at the time like made some like little offhand comment that like Quincy Jones was handsome and Miles just fucking hit her. Oh. Bitch, who are you talking about? No. And I'm now now 40 years later he's like on the stage with Quincy. Yeah. So that kind of shows a progression of him as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That he would be like, oh, like, I was so jealous of this guy, my wife. But now we're friends. <laughs> now you know we're friends. I mean? like, and I'm handsome, good. too. Love it. I'm, just, I'm just as good looking. <laughs> but, um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that was cool was like his marriage to Cicely Tyson because she was an actress as well. And like talk about the visual. Um, I think that they were said to be like another cool, like visual couple. You know, she was an actress. She just passed away um, too. So she ended up living to almost like a hundred and like just the two of them as like, they were a vision as well. Like it was Miles Davis and Miles Davis, the couple, you mm. know? So it was like not to downplay any of the beautiful women that stood by his side and contributed to that. But it, it's like, there's the Miles Davis nor'easter, the storm that comes in. And then there's Miles Davis, the couple, you know, where it's just like, Oh, can I be this good looking as the two of them, as one kind of image. Yeah, as you know? one like cohesive, like we're a dope couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I mean, that's obviously, like I said, we're missing a lot, definitely. So let us know in the comments what we missed. Definitely call us out. Uh, leave a review. It helps us up. It helps us out a lot for the yeah. algorithm and all that. So in the review, tell us about how much we missed about Miles Davis and we, yeah. we don't know shit about jazz and whatever. Oh, yeah. We love it. <laughs> Sometimes we purposely forget things just so you can tell us. Just kidding. Who but are we no. talking about? <laughs> We're talking about a sax player? <laughs> Miles Davis played sax, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Kenny G. That was his middle name. Miles Kenny G. Davis. <laughs> Has a nice ring to it. You know, the third. <laughs> the third. Um... Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, he's just a legend. Like, what else? Like, what else really is there to say about him? Yeah. I mean, he just always did it. He was always innovating up until he died. Yeah, and that's really what the great ones do. Like, similar to what we were saying about Tom Petty. Like, he was just doing it till he fucking died. Yeah. Like Malcolm and ACDC, they just do it till as long as they fucking can until yeah. the wheels fall off. And yeah. that's what Miles did. And he is an undying legend. Like, yes. Like, when you write a book about, like, 20th century music, you're going to talk about, you know, like, Stravinsky. Uh-huh. You're going to talk about Miles Davis. Yes. You're going to talk about uh, Zappa. Of course. You know, Sinatra. Yeah. Like, he is there, and his music will live longer than most people ever will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like, you know, we thank the music gods for people like that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean you know, or whatever you want to call it. Like, it's just like, like, thank goodness you have those people who kind of make you feel like the way you think and like, you know, what you do is, is, is good. It's all right. Like, you know, and it can happen because like there are people before you who thought this way, who did this way and, and, and weren't afraid to like change and just go make a left right here musically mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, you may be afraid to, or whatever, but you can do it because there were tons of people before you who not only do it, you know, they don't necessarily have to do it at a Miles Davis level, but there were some people who pretty much were kind of like against like a lot of odds and Mm -hmm. still kind of just steamrolled right through and and then took a lot of people along with them, you know? So it's a great thing. Yeah, so shout out to Miles, you know? Everybody should try to be more like Miles. 
when you think that yeah. you can't do something, just be like, fuck it. This is what I do. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so he's a legend. Yeah. You're all legends for watching slash listening. Wherever you're, you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate all of you. Yeah. If y'all don't know, we're Side After Dark. Yeah. We make music. You should we listen do. to it. Uh-huh. If you liked any of this, go ahead. Check us out on patreon.com slash musicmaniacs. It's the best way you can help support us to keep this podcast going. You can sign up there for any amount of money that you feel like donating. We'll read your name on the podcast. Yeah. You get to help us choose what episodes we do. And you'll get involved in like bonus content, like whatever we're going to do. If something comes up on the podcast that we want to like make extra shit about it, we're probably just going to put it on the Patreon. So go ahead, check it out. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for being maniacs with us. And we'll Ooh. see you next time. Next time.